Welcome to This Is Influence. It's a show about how B2B brands and execs can become more influential. My guest this week is Barry Bryan. He has held C-suite roles in many of the most exciting agency businesses around the world for over the last 30 years. Barry's recent success includes serving as Group Chief Exec for Creston PLC and the Unlimited Group, achieving a premium sale for shareholders and delisting from the London Stock Exchange. Currently, Barry is Group CEO at Strat7, a PE-backed business bridging the gap between research and business consultancy. In this episode, we discuss the pivotal decisions that shaped Barry's career in global digital communications companies, the key lessons that have guided his approach to corporate growth, and we also touch on his strategies he uses to unite teams and drive growth as a C-suite exec, creating a roadmap for success in pretty much any industry. This is one of the most impactful conversations that I've had this year, and I think you'll understand why. So, this is old, this is new, this is Influence. Barry Bryan, welcome to This Is Influence. Hi, Nathan. Nice to meet you again. So, Barry, if you can distill all of the years of your experience in M&A into key lessons, what do you think are some of the biggest takeaways that you can share with us? I think it is always more difficult than you think it is. Uh, the actual buying of a company, going through sort of the legals and the due diligence, is almost quite straightforward, and you have a lot of advisors. So I think it's the part after that, the next part of how you integrate a new company within your group, which is the more difficult part. I mean, people forget the people talk about buy and build, but forget the build section. The buy section is almost easy. Um, but really to get value out of that acquisition takes years and years to get a single sort of pound of return. So having the right vision and culture and fit and reason why you want that company, why you want it within your group, how it's going to evolve your client offer is probably one of the most important parts to it. I don't think you can just be a financial engineer and just buy earnings, which I saw in quite quite a number of the larger groups. This is you know building a client offer and delivering on that client offer. So I think it's the how you integrate the build and get extract the value is probably the most difficult part to any buy and build strategy. So what do you think are the fundamental ways of creating and disseminating a vision? that really can help create a culture in an organization as disparate and as large and, and diverse as yours? I think it is super important to have that North Star, whether you want to call it your vision or your mission or your purpose. You know, what is the point of you um, starting and, and launching a group and what is that North Star? I think the chemistry and the culture of the teams are really important. I mean, probably more important than the, the strategy alone, because if you haven't got the teams working with each other and working towards that North Star, then it can so quickly sort of fall apart. You can just become a holding company of lots of siloed, siloed P&Ls and siloed teams. I use the football analogy one minute. An agency could be playing for its club, but then it's got to be able to play for its country as well. You've got to come together when we're working on one of the teams. So having the vision, the mission, the North Star is super important. And you've got to just keep communicating it internally, externally, over and over again until you're almost sick and tired of saying it. Then people start to get it as well and understand it and are motivated by it as well. Let's talk a little bit about Strat7. You sit right in the middle of sort of management consultancies and 
research agencies, you're positioned in a really sort of unique and interesting way. Tell us a little bit about the space that you're operating in. How big is the market for digital transformation globally? Where do you sit within that at the moment? And maybe share any key data or sort of unique insights about kind of the size and scale of the business, just to give people an idea as to where you are today. Yeah. So we're operating, yeah, as you say, in that sort of white space between the market research insight companies, and the management consultancies, but the market research industry alone, I looked it up actually this morning before this podcast, is forecast to be $85, million, uh, $85 billion. And that's just the market research sector. The data analytics sector is growing up to about 40 billion. So this is a huge space. And this is excluding where the management consultancies are playing and in the sort of growth and transformational change that they advise clients on. So where we're operating in is a 100 billion plus marketplace. And why we launched Strat7, because we saw the real opportunity for to help clients where you've got technology driving change, but not just technology, but the pandemic and the global economic outlook as well, really driving the pace of change. And clients are struggling to keep up with that change. Technology is also driving the amount of customer data that is being created. And digital transformation that organizations are going through is creating a huge amount of data footprint as well. So where I thought uh, we had a real opportunity is helping clients to leverage the power of technology in data collection and enrichment, as well as technology to do the analytics. But how you bring in together, you know, bring uh, together with that strategic in- interpretation, but then real actionable growth plans. So it's a real sort of nexus of data, analytics, insight and growth strategy and pulling those things together. I I truly believe you have to put customers at the heart of your business strategy. And with all that change going on and how technology is accelerating change, what we're looking to do is redefine customer centricity, putting customers at the center of business decisions and growth strategy. So that's the white space we are playing in. We launched four years ago. We're close to 400 people now with teams from uh, Sydney to San Fran, we're running about 65 million pounds of revenue. So it's been quite a high growth uh, charge from us, both from uh, M&A as well as from organic growth. So you compete for digital transformation briefs against large management consultancies, McKinsey's, Bain's, etc. How do you position yourself against those, those companies? And what allows Strat7 to win against those larger, more established uh, incumbents for digital transformation briefs? Yeah, well, we we work across quite a few different competitor sets. But as you're saying, against the management consultancies, obviously they're amazing at what they do and they're very, very large. But very often they're not grounded or they haven't been sort of brought up in consumer and market insight, market research, market insight. So I think where we have a real strength is really able to uh, perform and to deliver, whether it's a hybrid segmentation where you're fusing survey and customer data analytics together and being able to tag that segmentation back onto databases. It's you know cultural and trend insight. Uh, it's from trackers to CX trackers. So we've got the tools, but we've also got the real experience 
uh, and and uh, you know experience and case studies and the teams where we can really embed consumer market insight into the heart growth strategies. And so often the consultancies are very good on transformation and growth change, but not not putting the foundation of consumer insight uh, in place. The other uh, types of organizations we pitch against are the big customer data platforms like the Alteryx, the Medallias, um, uh, you know, et cetera. But where they are very strong at is almost understanding the what. What has happened, but not the why. So they'll give you an amazing data dashboard. But then I've heard from many clients like, well, that's great to know where Magnum ice creams were sold throughout the UK, but why? Who is buying the Magnum ice creams, for example, in that circumstance? Why are they buying it? How do I sell more? How do I change the variant of taste? You know, what's my pricing strategy, innovation strategy? So quite often we go from, you know, the big consultancies all the way through to the customer data platforms. And some of them are very good at doing one thing, but not the whole area, not, not the three core service areas where we're focused on. The data, customer consumer data collection enrichment with the analytics, the strategic insight, and then the growth strategy as well. So I think that's where we are unique, lending all those three things together. You talk about the difference between the the what and, and the why. That's a real key aspect of Strat7's positioning. Give us an example of sort of how you've brought that to life for a client that's led to a successful outcome. Yeah, um, well, we've been very proud about uh, how we deliver hybrid segmentation. I mentioned it earlier. So that is uh, segmentation is typically based on survey data, but we bring in customer data from the uh, the CRM, the customer databases at the client has, which includes all the transactional data. So you fusing those together and then finding the segments and being able to tag that back on to the sort of first party data sets that a client has, which for some of our clients, you know, one of our clients, they have 600 million customers on their database. So it's incredibly powerful. Um, and so we're very strong. That really does deliver results. And one of the case studies where we won awards with was TUI a couple of years ago, where we did this hybrid segmentation across Europe. And not only was it segmentation, we showed what was the service innovation they needed to do in, you know, for example, in the holiday areas where their, where their customers were going. And we drove an extra 50 million pounds of profit in one year for TUI based on that hybrid segmentation with the actionable plans attached to it as well. So that was a very, you know, very strong case study we we're very proud of. But we've done that hybrid segmentation for clients like Zurich Insurance or IKEA, as well as TUI. So it can go across different industries. Let's go back to M&A for a moment, because you've acquired six businesses, I think, so far. Uh, you've grown pretty quickly in the last four years. Um, P supported um, with your own sort of buy and build strategy as well. Talk a little bit about how you see the future growth of Strat7 going, like what are the levers that you're using to pull to grow the company? And what's your philosophy of sort of how you choose targets to acquire? I'm, I'm just super fascinated in sort of your philosophy, your philosophy behind which targets to go after. 
Right. Um, well, two two big questions there. So, tackling the first one, I mean, when we launched, uh, we could have we could have had a strategy just around organic growth. So, using our own cash flow to invest in whether it's sales, marketing, etc. I felt that though the market was changing so quickly, our clients needed help. You know, it's a big market, as we said before, 100 billion plus. So if we're going to truly compete in this market and we're already competing against the, you know, we pitched against McKinsey, we pitched against Kantar, Ipsos. So if we're going to compete against those you know, large organizations, we need to quickly invest into our platform. And that could be from our central sales and marketing team, you know, investing heavily in, in artificial intelligence like many others are, but we've been doing it for years now. We've invested in our proprietary software platform. We've been investing and in rolling out, you know, very boring in one way, but really important, one accounting system, one client CRM system, one job management system. So if we're working on American Express in Sydney or in San Fran, our teams can have a real-time view of that project. So I always felt that if we were going to grow into uh, you know, a global uh, advisory service, we needed the, the operating infrastructure. And that's, that's why we went to raise money from Horizon Capital. Of course, a big part of this is from M&A, and I'll come on to that in a moment. And of course, that needs money as well. But it's very important for us to continue to invest in the group, the platform, the talent as well, because it's super important to keep driving the organic growth as well as the acquisitive growth. Then to the second part of your question, you know, what, what do we look for? I mean, obviously, we need, you know, as I talk to many companies and decide on which ones to bring in, it's always, you know, how, what new skill set and capability are they bringing to the group? What new clients are they bringing to the group? What geographic reach are they bringing into the group? All that is super important. We don't want overlapping and competing agencies within Strat7. But what's super important is the chemistry and the culture of that management team. We need to make sure our agencies and our teams want to work with each other, they trust each other, they like each other, they're going to share their clients and collaborate and innovate together. So the chemistry and the culture is really important. Also the ambition of that management team. You know, we're, we're not going to be satisfied with market growth of 5-6%. We want to be achieving 20% a year in organic growth. And so it does need a different mindset of the management team. So, you know, ambitious, competitive team is really important because we will want to grow that business as quickly as we can over the next three years. You know, take an example, CrowdDNA, uh, they joined us two and a half years ago. They've had an amazing performance. It's all around cultural strategy and insight, and they've almost tripled in size in two and a half years. And it's been a fantastic service offering, but service offering we've helped to grow as well by transferring big clients like Microsoft into, into Crowd because they do an amazing service. So hopefully that answers it. So I think that you know we need to tick off obviously additional incremental complementary capabilities, clients, et cetera. But probably more importantly is that mindset of that management team, how ambitious they are and having the right cultural chemistry fit. I think how Strat7 are positioned, I think is super fascinating between the management consultancies and the research companies that we talked about earlier. Positioning, though, is one thing. Getting the right positioning is obviously crucial, but it's it's only one piece of the pie. The second part of that is lead generation. Well, how do you actually get in front of the customers that you actually need to be speaking to and to winning? 
How do you think about the second part of that equation? Well, lead generation is always so important and and difficult as well. I mean, I think most of our growth has actually come from our existing client base. So we've been very good at organically growing, i.e. selling more services in to that client. And in some way, I suppose you shouldn't think about it selling more services. You know, we're providing services that the client needs for them to grow, for them to win at change, for them to create new products, new services, new pricing strategy. So, you know, we're here to provide what they need for them to compete and win in their marketplace. So growing the relationship with our existing clients is super important. But we do have quite a big uh, sort of marketing effort throughout the year across all of our disciplines. I think last month in the month of May, uh, month of June, we had a webinar uh, every week on something new, whether it was around customer centricity, whether it's around AI, whether it was around communities. So our sort of outbound marketing activity is super important, again, demonstrating how we can add value to our clients. And quite often it's focused on certain areas, for example, on the financial services with a new duty of care to consumers is super important. Clients need to uh, react to that because of the FCA regulation that's come in, but also whether it's in pharma or B2B, some of the underweight sectors where we're, where we're playing, we will spend a bit more lead generation time in that space. You said you're not satisfied with 5 or 6% year-on-year growth. You're much more ambitious than that. The management team is sort of looking at 20% plus. What does that mean in terms of the management team that you're looking for to help you with those growth ambitions? What are the dimensions of talent in the management team specifically that matter to you the most to give you the mindset and the skill set to be able to grow that aggressively? Um, I suppose it goes back to one of my other answers was when we're going through the uh, the acquisition criteria and deciding wh- which companies to bring in. It really is comes down to that management team and that how entrepreneurial they are and how ambitious they are because they will want to keep growing their business. They will want to keep growing Strat Seven to be proud of Strat Seven as well as as, as uh, their own individual agency, which they still very much care about. So I think it comes down to the ambition of the team, um, but also we need to keep investing in the business, i.e. whether it's the sales and marketing, whether it's the talent, the training, whether it's negotiation skills or presentation skills. So although we're looking for a 20% growth, and it, you know it's a tougher market now, so we've been far in excess of that, we're probably slightly below that at the moment, but... Um, we will keep, we want to maintain a 20% margin as well. So what you call a rule of 40. So if you can grow at 20%, your margin must be 20%. And with that margin, that again allows us to keep investing in new services, in innovation, um, in increased sales marketing effort, into new hires, etc. So it is a real balance of making sure the finances uh, allowing the investment in the teams, but also right from the beginning, just making sure we bring in and hire ambitious people who don't want to just do five, six percent and be the same as the rest of the market. You know, we don't want to just grow as the market grows. We want to win share. And I think having our annual client audit, satisfaction audits is really important in that as well to see are we delivering the service the client needs needs and what else do they need from us? So again, that will help us to to drive our growth. Just backing up a little bit here, 
Barry, you said earlier that um, one of the interesting things about Strat 7 or one of the boring things about Strat 7 is that you've got one single PNL. Some people might find it, find it boring. I think some people would find it super fascinating. Maybe explain for those people that aren't aware the impacts and the importance of having one PNL and what that's done for your financial management uh, in terms of resource allocation, budgeting. How has it affected? things like decision-making and, and accountability, how, how important is having one PNL in a business that's as complex as yours? Um, we're not quite there yet. We're, we're, it's, this is a, a project that we're working on, so we're halfway uh, through moving to one PNL. But what it means, so for example, for Strat7, we've done six acquisitions and one startup in the four-year lifespan. So you just think about that. That means we've got seven P&Ls, seven legal entities, and with that will come seven balance sheets, cash flows, audits, corporation tax, VAT, payrolls, everything gets duplicated. And as we grow, and I've always got to think two, three, four, five years ahead, if we continue to do an acquisition a year, which is essentially what we've done since the two original acquisitions, then the business will get super complicated if we do not do what you call a legal hive up, i.e. hiving up the client contracts and the employment contracts and all the accounting into one Strat7 Limited or Strat7 Inc. in the US. So it is a journey, but it will make us more efficient because we don't need to spend as much time on the sort of back office, on the accounting, etc., it will also improve our, our clients' experience of us as well. So we've got several clients saying, look, we want to buy all your services, but we're not going to have five or six different contract negotiations. Can I just have one contract with you at Strat7 Group level? Um, but you need to have all, you know, you only need to have one legal entity so we can buy all the services. So it typically improves the uh, client experience, if you like, from the whole procurement invoicing, uh, job management as well. So that's very, very important. I think we will still set targets by discipline. We'll still have a mixture of incentives. You know, for the senior team, we'll have the incentive based as if it was one PL, i.e. the group, sort of EBITDA and the group performance. And that really does start to change attitude. And that going back to we are one team, how do we help each other? How do we put the client at the center of everything we do and operate as one team rather than siloed activities? So it's a journey to get there. It's quite quite a long, slow, complicated process, but it will start to change sort of attitudes and behaviors uh, of how we operate internally, but how we are answering the client's brief as well. As you think about yourself as a leader and the other leaders that you've uh, interacted with throughout the course of your career, what pops out to you as the black magic that makes those people successful, special, effective? What comes to your mind? It may be management team that you're working with right now that you've worked with in the past or other leaders that you work with a, a, across your career. What, what pops out to you as sort of what makes that person unique and special and effective as a leader? Oh, it's, that's so difficult. I've had so, so good bosses, bad bosses, inspiring bosses, bullshitting bosses. It's just, you know, some are some are absolutely amazing, but utterly mercurial and sort of rule with fear. I think things have changed now. 
for me, I think it's really important. We're a team. You're only as good as the people around you. So a leader who can make sure they're getting the best and most out of their people and out of their team and encouraging and motivating, supporting, for me, has always been one of the the best leaders. Um, Someone who can communicate well is obviously incredibly important. Going back to how we started this, about what is the North Star of the business and what are we trying to do that's different from our competitors? I think we've got to be much clearer about communicating the the North Star. Um, And I think people, you know, leaders who deliver as well. Again, there's a in the, I grew up in the advertising industry, and there's some amazing, talented people within that industry. But there's some real bullshitters as well. And you know, as we, as you know, business is so fast now. Yeah, you know, I can't believe it's July already. This is crazy. The business yes. is moving really, really quickly. So you need people who are on it, who are who've got the resilience and the ambition. So and who will deliver as well? Deliver what they say. So if, if we take all the lessons that we've talked about today and distill them into and apply them to the next generation of leaders that would come after you, what do you think is going to define the next generation of, of leaders of great companies and of media businesses? Is it anything different to what we've already talked about? Or do you think there are going to be new principles that will define the next generation of, of great leaders? I think... Um... I think emotional IQ is really, really important. I think you've got to be able to understand and respond to the people around you, um, going back to the team effort. Because I think the world has become more complex. So you have specialists, many more specialists rather than generalists. You know, looking at our business, our tech team are very different from our analytics team, our, our creative cultural semanticians or, or qualities, very different. So I think people are becoming more narrow in what they do so we've got to operate as a team um i think it's also change change the pace of change will only continue so i think we have to have a very open mindset of how we innovate how we embrace change how we keep changing even if you are becoming an expert in a smaller field that's got to keep changing as well so i think probably change and understanding people rather than just being dictatorial uh, how I remember when I first started, there's some pretty dictatorial bosses and you just lived in fear half the time. And because, you know, talent as well is much more, um, uh, they, you know, they have much greater freedom. Again, you know, 30 years ago, people expected to join a company for at least four or five years, if not a lot longer. Now we've got people coming and going, we've got people hiding. You know, part of our US team is actually in Manchester, England, delivering on some of the health team. I couldn't believe it when I found out how US mm. team had hired someone in England, which is fantastic. So yeah. talent can move around. So we've got to look after it, manage our talent, look after them as individuals. Um, so I think there, there are a few things there. So just switching to our traditional closing question now, I'm not sure whether you know this is our traditional closing question, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. We're, we're a really nice restaurant of your choosing. Have, have you got a favorite restaurant? Well, I'll go for the, the, the restaurant that always jumps out. It was a very, very low key uh, restaurant. Actually, we're in, in Italy where I proposed to my wife. And there was a lemon grove. And it's probably the most charming, charming restaurants I've ever been to. But very, very simple. It was absolutely lovely. And you can bring three people, living or dead, to dinner to make you smarter better, healthier, increase your performance in some way, shape or form. What, what three people do you bring? 
Um, individuals, I think it would have to be so one of my big sporting heroes, Muhammad Ali. I mean, what an amazing man! Um, not just not just an amazing athlete, but his his ability to communicate, I thought, was amazing with wit and charm. Absolutely incredible. But also his real belief and you know what he believed in, he really stood up stood up for as well. So I think an incredible, incredible individual. Um, you'd have to have go back to that whole thing about change. I mean, creative and innovative and redefining yourself. I um, I think a beautiful, wonderful artist is Frida Kahlo. Um, so I'd probably choose her because what she had to get through as a woman in a, such a sort of male-dominated art world, also coming from Mexico and breaking through onto the global scene. I mean, her resilience must have been amazing how she kept reinventing herself. Um, and probably last would be, not, not my greatest political fan, but uh, Barack Obama. I mean, again, the first, first black man is... Uh, Incredible is the sort of US president, yeah, and with the name of Barack Obama, is quite incredible as well. <laughs> but just a huge, huge, huge intellect, a great communicator as well. So, I'd want yeah. to learn from probably Ali and Obama on their communication skills, their charm, their wit. Um, and then from Frida Kahlo, her just unbelievable creativity and how she kept redefining herself as well. So Bit, bit of a mixed bag there, but, but um, I think all inspiring characters. Great choice of guests and a, and a great way to end the show as well. Barry Bryan, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you, Nathan. This is Influence as a production of Bridge Growth, the B2B podcasting agency for enterprise brands. I could not produce this show without our crack staff here at Bridge. Sarah Spence is our production assistant. Christoph Boaszczek is our head of production. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to This Is Influence.